Hello, and welcome to Investigating Legal Systems, Season 1. Today we're going to be looking into China this season, getting you the closer look into how China's legal system compares to the United States. Today, myself, Lucas Gravenstein, and my two co-anchors are going to be telling you guys about China and the explicit nature of their legal system. My name is Lucas Gravenstein, and along with my co-anchors... Taylor Curtis. Emma Han. We represent the legal system's investigation into China. So, first of all, in the U.S., we have a legal system that's called common law, which is based on case law and judicial rulings, which means that judges have the power to interpret our statutes and laws, and then that sets a precedent which other courts are required to follow, and that's mainly how we develop our body of law. In China, they have what's called a civil legal system, which means that it's based more on a strict legal code instead of judicial interpretation. And it also has more of an inquisitorial nature than the adversarial nature that we have in the US common law system. China's civil legal system is also mixed with a customary system, which just means that many of the legal traditions and principles are based on customs that have become widely accepted from the Chinese culture. So when it comes to the basic structure of the legal system in China versus the US, they have generally the same structure in that it goes from a lower court up to the Supreme Court, which is the highest court of law in the countries. In China, the lowest court is called the Basic People's Court, which is roughly the US, or the US equivalent is roughly our small claims courts that we have in some states where citizens go to resolve minor disputes, civil cases of a low monetary value, misdemeanor criminal cases. And in those courts, we notice that the procedure is much less formal. And that's the same for China. They don't enforce the same formal laws in the basic people's court that they would at the higher levels of the court. Once a case goes to the basic people's court, these cases are those that are very local in counties in China. They, can, they get one appeal and they can appeal it to the intermediate people's court, which is at the municipality or prefecture level in China. The Intermediate People's Court takes appeals from the Basic People's Court and also tries cases that have more of a broad impact than just strictly local. That is, they have an impact at the municipality or prefecture level. The Intermediate People's Court, you might equivalent or you might compare to the U.S. District Courts because they're roughly, they cover roughly the same geographic spectrum. So after the Intermediate People's Court in China, you then go up to the Higher People's Court, which might be our equivalent of the U.S. Appeals Court, because appeals from the Intermediate Level Court in China go up to this Higher People's Court, just as appeals from the U.S. District Courts go up to the Appeals Courts. In the higher people's court in China, cases are handled that have more of an impact on the providence, province level. Because in China, the country is sorted into about 33 different provinces, which might be roughly the equivalent of U.S. states, in which a case that has a large impact on a certain province is tried at the higher people's court in China.
As I said, the Higher People's Court also takes appeals from the Intermediate People's Court. After the Higher, higher, after the higher People's Court, we go to the Supreme Court, the Supreme People's Court, which is the equivalent in the U.S. system of our U.S. Supreme Court. This is the, the Supreme People's Court has last legal authority, which means their decisions has to stand no matter what. One difference is that while the U.S. Supreme Court often make landmark decisions that influence policy in the United States and judicial decisions all over the United States, the Supreme People's Court in China only plays that role at a very minimal level. Because China is a civil legal family, they rely less on precedent and re rely less on judicial decisions forming policy. The Supreme People's Court hear, hears appeals from the Higher People's Court, as well as it, is first, it has first jurisdiction over cases that impact the whole country. So to review, the first level of Chi the Chinese court system is the Basic People's Court. Then it's the Intermediate People's Court, then the Higher People's Court, and finally the Supreme People's Court. You can see how that structure follows the United States structure a little bit, but there are some important differences. Chinese courts are also separated into three main branches, criminal, civil, and administrative. This is like US because we separate it into criminal and civil, but we usually don't have a strict administrative category. Now that you know the basic court structure, we should learn about the people who work in them. We have some experts on Chinese judges and lawyers here today, and we're going to talk about them. The first type of people we're going to talk about in the judicial system are lawyers. And in the U.S., lawyers are also known as attorneys. They usually specialize in a focused area of law, such as criminal law, real estate law, divorce law, or immigration law, etc. Lawyers will consult with clients and provide legal advice on how to address their issues. They may prepare filings for court, represents their, represent their clients in court, or discuss other ne negotiations. Lawyers in some cases need to prepare for a trial and present evidence to support their client's position. They then use this evidence in court in order to achieve the most positive outcome for their client that is possible. In China, there was a little bit of depiction on what a lawyer would be um, and historically, the legal profession um, was insignificant in the PRC. In the late 1970s, there were no more than a couple hundred practicing lawyers. And then since the 1980s, as China's leadership became cognizant of the importance of the legal system and legal profession, they advanced their economic development and training for lawyers. From, 18, from 1986 to 1992, the numbers of lawyers in the country more than doubled from 21,500 to 45,000, and by 2008 had reached 143,000. In present day, there are more than 11,000 law firms in China staffed by more than 118,000 lawyers. Since this significant increase, the provisional law on lawyering in the PRC laid the foundation in 1980. In early stages, law offices were called legal counseling services and lawyers were regarded as state local workers. In May 1996, the lawyer's law was enacted by the NPC. It acknowledged the development needs in the legal profession. The definition of a lawyer then changed to, 
or from legal, st- state legal worker to a professional who legally obtains lawyer certificate and who provides a society with legal services. The law was set forth with qualifications for practicing law, outlines a law- lawyer's professional capacity, rights, and duties. A fun fact about the lawyers in China is that is how they compare to judges. Judges in China normally begin their careers <clears throat> at a very young age instead of serving as lawyers first. Um, they may become judges at an unusual young age relative to most other countries. The judge and prosecutor still are regarded as public servants. But the fun fact here is that it is recognized that the quality of judges and prosecutors are lawyer, lower than lawyers. Now I'm going to hand it off to Lucas to tell you more about how the judges work in China compared to the U.S. There's several requirements to be a judge in China. Now, the requirements consist of different things. I mean, first of all, you have to be Chinese. So you have to be actually from the country, which is unique to China. America definitely does not have that law. Um, you also have to be at least 23 years old to serve as a judge, which is an astonishing low number. Um, most judges in the U.S. you'll find are of older age, usually of white descent, and usually on their way out or ready to retire, which is why there's going to be a deficit of judges and leaders and lawyers in the U.S. system in the upcoming age. But in China, the issue is very opposite, where judges are significantly younger. They're younger because one of the requirements to be a judge is that you must be in good health. And I did do some research, some digger, some deeper digging, and they do actually do a medical evaluation before you become a judge. Um, you must also be appointed to be a judge. So almost all the judges, besides maybe the basic court local level, are going to be appointed judges. And these judges, when they're appointed, usually are appointed because they have political or professional qualities. Essentially, they're good at their job. They're professional. They know how to get stuff done. They know what they're doing. The other requirement to be a judge is you only need two years of legal expertise. A lot of judges are not lawyers. They're not people who have gone to law school. They're people who have simply worked in the legal field for two years. Any legal expertise in the legal field counts, which is extremely unusual. Now, the difference here compared to Chinese Um, legal system in America, most judges have years of expertise. Most judges and lawyers have gone through law school, they've passed a bar, they've passed several exams to get there, the LSAT, and many judges have served as maybe a prosecuting attorney, a defense attorney. They've been attorneys for years before they get appointed or maybe even elected. In the U.S., there's multiple different ways to become a judge. So you can be elected, you can be appointed, However the system works, it may or may not benefit you. But in China, that's obviously not the case. Congress, the People's China Congress, appoints judges usually. And these judges are appointed for as long as they decide to work for. Most of these judges will be on the bench for years and years and years to come. Um, But they do actually in China have a retirement age they are required to follow. Um, Men judges usually retire at 60 years old. Women judges retire at 55. Um, There's really no reason for the, I'm not sure why there's a five-year difference, Um, but 
I would assume, something to do with the sex. Um, the CPC, though, if you serve on the CPC, which is the um, Supreme People's Court, it's 65 years. 65 years, so you get an extra five years to be a judge, which is pretty cool, I guess. Currently, China has 300,000 judges and court clerks that are working in it. Now, the court system has four tribunals as well. And a tribunal is the type of law that it is. So you have criminal, civil, economic, and enforcement tribunal. So you might be wondering, well, what's the difference between a civil and economic? Because civil usually deals with money. A civil court case is going to be between two different people. An economic court case in China is going to be between a corporation and a person. So maybe you're suing a corporation for something. That would be an economic. And there's also the enforcement tribunal. These four tribunals separate it, and each tribunal contains a chief judge and several deputy chief judges. And these deputy chief judges, if they're serving on a bigger panel, they may work together several times in a row. They may work together all day long. Um, these deputy chief judges and chief judges are very close because there's not many of them in each tribunal. The chief judge, when there has to be more than one judge, when there's a case of a bigger trial, when there's three to seven judges and on number, the chief judge chooses the deputy chief judges. Um, and then a chief judge is also chosen by a higher authority figure. And these tribunals work their way just as you would normally work. It's just you have different tribunals, different systems to make the system more effective. Now, in the U.S., we have a similar, kind of a similar thing. We don't call them tribunals, but we have different types of court cases. You can have a criminal, a civil court case. Um, you can have all types of court cases in the U.S., which is a little bit different. Another interesting thing about the Chinese legal system is in addition to these four staple tribunals, each court can, at its discretion, add additional tribunals based on whether they see it fit to add another category. For example, in many Chinese courts, there are tribunals for family law, environmental law, and whatever other categories they feel like should have their own separate tribunal. There's also a military tribunal court. Um, the military court, there's usually one per um, every rank that you go up in the court. So there's a basic military court for the local level, an intermediate court for the military, and it goes all the way up to an appellate, um, so the higher court provincial. Um, you do find in the U.S. that there is some military courts. Um, what they do and the things that they accomplish may differ from military court to court. So Lucas mentioned the fact that in Chinese court cases, once you get past the basic people's court, there's usually a panel of judges ranging from three to seven. This is called a collegial panel. And in addition to the judges that serve on these panels, the Chinese system also has individuals called people's assessors. These are individuals who have no formal court training, like they aren't a lawyer or a judge, but they serve as sort of a voice of the people on these panels. I would compare this to the jury in the United States because that's the, uh, a way United States has of making sure that individuals are involved with their justice system and making sure that the justice system isn't dominated by government professionals. The Chinese legal system doesn't have juries per se, but they do have these people's assessors who are elected and serve terms of a couple years or so, and they serve on these collegial panels in addition to several judges in order to have their voices heard. 
In the United States, one of the issues we have with the modern jury is that the people serving on it usually don't have very much legal knowledge, and therefore their decisions may not be based in the law but more on emotion, and that really isn't supposed to happen. The same problem arises with people's assessors in the Chinese courts. Many argue that these people's assessors, because they have no formal training in the, in the law, usually just defer to the judge's opinions and really don't add anything except to reinforce whatever the majority opinion is. So before we go on and talk about lawyers and the requirements to be a lawyer, I want to talk to you and recap a little bit about what it means to be a judge, what it means to serve on a case, what it means to be a part of the legal system, and how important these judges are. Now, again, these judges have to be Chinese, 23. They have to endorse the Constitution. They have to be professional, political, good health, two years of legal expertise, and Congress appoints them. Now, these judges are supposed to be separate. They're supposed to be separate entities from the political bias that U.S. judges face. A lot of U.S. judges are elected and not appointed, so it creates this policy of them trying to get reelected because they want to keep their job. Now, China did away with that, and they appoint them, and they appoint them so they can be neutral arbiters of the law, which is essentially what a judge is, a neutral arbiter of the law debating which way a case should go, debating on the fines, the penalties, the civil cases, the economic boundaries that are forced upon them. They decide some of the biggest cases and set the precedent. Now, obviously, in China, there is no precedent to set, and it's just based off what the judges think. But in the U.S., there is a precedent, and that precedent matters. So what these judges do affects the country around us. Now, to recap, China does have four tribunals, the criminal, the civil, the economic, and the enforcement tribunals. You have people who are everyday people who apply for these jobs to sit on these councils and be a member, basically a jury member. They do this, they make money, but they're a little bit more expertise as they're doing this every day. They have a little bit more of a legal expertise, and these people are elected. They're elected to do their job, so it's kind of like electing someone to be a jury member for you. So instead of sitting on a trial and being called for jury duty, why not just elect someone? And that's what China did. They're just electing people to be jury members. Now, we've talked about judges. We've talked about the requirements to be a judge. We've talked about that a judge makes these big decisions and all these crazy things. But what does a judge do when you get up to a higher court? Well, when you get up to the higher courts, past the intermediate court, and you're in the higher court, there's only 31 higher courts. There's not that many judges who are serving on them. Usually, they're the ones who have a lot of expertise, who have been appointed to this higher court. And these higher courts look at the decisions of the intermediate and the basic court, and they might revise the decisions. They might change them. The one thing that they are obligated to do, though, is if somebody is declared worthy of the death penalty, the higher court has to approve it. The higher court has to say, yes, we agree that the death penalty should be implemented on this case. And the higher court and the judges make these big decisions. Now, let's say you get the death penalty and you don't agree with it. You get this death penalty and you're scared that you're not going to go home. You're going to prison for the rest of life. You might appeal it one more time. You might appeal it and go to the Supreme People's Court. The thing about it, just like our Supreme Court, there's only one court. And you don't know if your case is going to get grabbed or not. The other thing about China is you only have one chance to appeal your case. So tentatively speaking, your case at most should only go twice. So you should go to the basic court. 
if you appeal the basic court decision, you go to the intermediate court. And the intermediate court's decision is final, unless you appeal it again. If a higher court accepts your appeal and wants to look into it, great, you get another trial. You get to go again. But let's say you don't agree with the higher court's decision either. You move up to the Supreme People's Court. And again, you only get one appeal. So in China, it's important when they're appealing and which court they're appealing to, it's important that they do it right. Now, who are the people who are making these big calls, these big decisions, helping these clients? Well, they're lawyers. Well, what type of expertise do they need? I'm going to pass it off to Taylor. I want Taylor to explain to you the different requirements it takes to be a lawyer in China and how they function in all this crazy court system. When looking at the steps to become a lawyer, comparing China and the U.S., <clears throat> look into these details, it's pretty clear that the two systems navigate through their lawyers a bit differently. As Lucas was talking about how almost simple it seems to become a judge in China. It, it kind of seems that way with lawyers as well. Really, the only steps um, that they have to go through are figuring out which path that they're going to take. Um, and there's two paths. Uh, in order to become a lawyer in China, first, you can choose the university level, um, getting your degree. Currently, they're are at least 80 law universities or law colleges and many university-based law schools or law departments in the PRC. Historically, the best known ones are called the Five Institutes and the Four Departments. The Five Institutes are China University of Political Science and Law, Southwest Institute of Political Science and Law, East China Institute of Political Science and Law, Zognan University of Economics and Law, Northwest Institute of Political Science and Law. Following these five institutes are the four departments. These are listed as Renmin University of China Law School, Peking University Law School, Wuhan University Law School, and Jilin University Law School. On the second route is the college level. Now, when looking at the U.S., we think of university and college based on more of their sizes, but this is talking about um, the legal training systems that are within the two. At the college level, they feature Chinese legal training systems and a network of specialized on-job internal training <clears throat> that are offered at the selected colleges and centers. These Supreme People's Courts administers two training institutes, the National Judges College, which is for judges, the SPT, SPC, which is a spare time university, which is also for judges, but for lawyers, <clears throat> a provincial bureau of justice usually manages a justice training center in the College of Justice. This provides college-level training for young students or periodic training to practicing lawyering. In addition, there are provincial-level schools of the administration of political and legal cadres, which provide a legal training program to judges, prosecutors, justice officials, and practicing lawyers. After receiving one of the two proper educations, one needs to pass the chi China's National Judicial Exam, and any person who wants to work as a judge, prosecutor, become a practicing lawyer, or a public notary will need to pass the SJE to obtain a Certificate of Legal Profession Qualification. While these two paths may seem simple and, you know, pick one way or the other, it is a very competitive, <clears throat> disciplined academic environment 
in terms of university and college enrollment. So in order to get into these universities that are going to teach us or teach one to be a lawyer in, in China. And this is because since the, the change of the definition of being a lawyer and the constant growth, um, exponentially growth, might I add, the number of judicial and legal training institutions also continues to grow. Um, the trend has been determined by a strong demand in the market for legal services. Um, and overall, they just they need to improve the professional quality of judges and the prosecutors, um, lawyers included. And the Chinese judicial and legal training facilities are divided into law schools, law university, and justice colleges, as I mentioned before which are all going to be specialized in these judicial professional training centers. Um, and a little bit of statistic on this, um, talking about what comes after in, in these institutions passing the state judicial exam, um, approximately 70% of practicing lawyers have these university degrees, and 30% only have college diplomas. And in March 2002, over 360,000 university or college graduates took part in the two-day SJE, also known as the state judicial exam. And according to the recent report, only 7% of those students passed. This does show that the academic discipline and the competitiveness of this field is up there and that it may seem easy from the outside and like one way or the other, but at the end of the day, it will be challenging well, Taylor, I want to mention one thing. I've realized that, like, the research that I've done, Taylor, is that China had one of the biggest years for students applying to law school for the first time. There were more students than had ever before applied to law school in China. And they're now predicting that there's going to be a deficit in the field. There's going to be a deficit in jobs in the field, that there's not even enough jobs to sustain how many people are going into this field. Now, comparatively to the U.S., I mean, the U.S. is facing a completely different problem. The U.S. is facing a problem of there's not enough people in the legal field. So what I really want to know is what are the differences between lawyers in the U.S. and the requirements they have versus the requirements in China to be a lawyer? Yeah, so that's, that's a great point, Lucas. And to get into talking about the U.S. and what it comes or what it takes to be a um, a lawyer in the U.S. is comparing to China, there's a lot more steps. Um, and this starts with presumably the undergrad degree. Um, and what is found most interesting about this is that your undergrad degree doesn't have to be in, you know, politics, law, anything that has to do with what you want to be. You can earn whatever you Earn your bachelor's degree in whatever field you want. So I could earn my master's or my bachelor's degree in mathematics and become a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yep. I could go into sports management and become a lawyer is what you're telling me in Abs- the U.S. Absolutely. So where do I go after I become after I get my mathematics certification and my degree in mathematics? Where do I go after that in the U.S.? So after you finish your mathematics courses, because there are no required courses that you're going to be taking at the university for um, law school admission. So you can take these math classes, but law schools look at you and in in terms of what classes you've taken. So courses that develop skills in writing, reading, and public speaking, logic, and research can be helpful, but math will still get you there. Um, 
but some law schools do prefer applicants who have taken these more challenging courses. Um, but to answer your question, after you um, are, you know, working your way through college, usually your third year of college, you will be taking your LSAT exam. Um, and when submitting your law school application, your LSAT scores will also be required to be submitted. And this test is administered by the Law School Admission Council, also known as LSAC, and is used to test your reading, comprehension, reasoning, and critical thinking skills. The LSAC test is administered in four multiple choice formats, in a multiple choice format, and is given five sections. If you take the LSAT and feel that your scores do not reflect your knowledge, that you know more, that you didn't do as well, you may choose to retake this test. If you pass this test and after you graduate, you go to law school, which usually takes around three years, um, it, revolts in, it results in a JD degree. You begin law school by taking courses in constitutional law, property law, legal writing, contracts, and torts. Next, you take elective courses based on your interests, such as comparative law, um, corporate law, tax law, or labor law. Um, some extra interests or activities that you could join include law school, mock trials, um, attending legal clinics, and you could even write for your own personal journal. Uh, following this would be the bar exam, uh, and this exam is taken in the state you practice law in, um, which is given by the American Bar Association. Before you may practice law in the United States, you are required to pass this bar exam and earn your license. Depending on your state, you will likely need to pass a written bar exam as well as a separate written ethics exam. If you would like to practice law in multiple states, you generally need to pass bar exam in each of those states. After your bar exam is gonna be the PR exam and your character check. So pretty much this is a list of everything that you've done, you know, good, bad, to make sure that you're not lying and that you can be trusted. So what will happen is somebody is going to ask you um, of your record, of anything that you know you possibly could have done wrong. And this is not to get you in trouble or make you feel guilty or make you think that you don't have a shot. Um, in the judicial system, it is to make sure that you can be trusted and that you're not going to lie under pressure or be swayed by any particular bias. Um, and then after this character test, you will have your CLEs um, where these are classes in Typically, you can earn 45 credits in about two years. Um, and then after all of this jumble that you need to do before becoming a lawyer in, in the U.S., you need to pay every year to stay a part of the Bar Association. Um, and now I kind of just want to talk a little bit about the U.S. and their top law firms, kind of just how, like, I talked about... Um, the top institutes for, for China. So these top schools in the U.S. would be a list of the top being Yale University, followed by Stanford University, Harvard University, University of Chicago, and then lastly, Columbia University. And these are only the top five, but you can see these are, these are high-end schools, and the U.S. sets up the lawyers for, you know, what they're going to be in for. They have a well-thought-out process, um, extensive process and it leads these potential lawyers into these top end schools you know practicing ready to be into the courtroom 
So it seems like to me that the U.S. is really focused on making sure that our lawyers are the right people for the position, that they're capable of defending everyday Americans and doing the job assigned to them. And it seems to me that China is thinking this in a more efficient scale. How can we efficiently get people through our legal system while the U.S. is focused on personal liberties and defending these everyday Americans? Right. Am I correct in saying that? that Absolutely, yeah. I think that China is just a lot more focused on efficiency, getting people through their system, considering their system has exponentially, as we talked about earlier, exponentially increased over the years. Right. There's more caseloads than ever before. And I think China is just keeping up with the flow and getting these people through as efficiently as possible. So you go from an efficiency model of the court system with two different types of law. You have common law and civil law, and then you work your way into a system that's just focused on liberties and making sure that everyone has their rights given to them. But in the U.S., you also see that the court process is a lot more drawn out Mm -hmm. than I think China's is. China's very focused on you should only be able to appeal once. At most, you should have to go to two court cases. China's just efficient, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely just an in-and-out process where, you know, for China, you got to go university, college, pass your exam, and you're pretty much in, whereas the U.S., it's, you know, university and college is where you're starting. It's it's just where your journey is beginning, and I definitely have to agree with you on that, where China's just, it, they're looking for the efficient route. And, I mean, you have to figure, I mean, judges at 23 years old, I don't even think most law school students in the U.S. are out of school at 23. Mm-hmm. I think most of them aren't a lawyer until 25, 24. And so the, when, when is someone going to be a judge in the U.S.? I mean, they could, be, they could be dang near 40 years old by the time they're a judge. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so the overarching theme you can kind of see with this look at the Chinese legal system is the lack of judicial independence and how that could affect verdicts. Because in China, the judges, as Lucas talked about, don't have the same education as judges do in the United States, and because they're supervised by higher judges, higher officials, and with potential influence from the Communist Party, there's really no judicial independence, which is worrisome for the courts there. Without there being a lot of judicial independence, it's hard to get a fair trial I feel like and it's hard to have a trial or a judge or courts in general that are going to serve the people not only serve them but do it well so I think China in terms of China versus the U.S. China has a long ways to go in still developing their legal system Um, you'll see later in the podcast about the civil system, and the civil system doesn't have a lot either. So China is a developing nation when it comes to the law, and they're still working their way around. And part of the things that I think would help with that is getting rid of these overarching factors for these judges and making them more judicially independent. In the United States, you can see there's a little bit more judicial independence depending on the district or the sector that you're in. just for the fact that some judges in um, the United States are elected. And I think that does, that does, in a sense, take away some of their judicial independence as well because they are now representing people and trying to get reelected versus serving the people and doing it well. So in terms of how to solve these issues and in terms of how to 
fix these issues, not only in the U.S., but in China. It's something that the countries need to sit down and discuss and figure out how can we create a more neutral arbiter to watch over our people and decide these cases. So we talked a little bit about lawyers um, in the U.S. and in China. And to offer a little bit of insight on that um, and talking about one of the biggest things that comes into play when we're talking about judges and lawyers um, is bias and whether or not someone decides to have bias, um, there are unconscious forms and conscious forms of bias. And so when when looking at the U.S. lawyers' history, um, there have been <clears throat> a few occasions, multiple occasions, that um, cases can be decided on or looked at differently because of a bias, whether it has to do with uh, skin color, gender, um, many different minority factors um, that can kind of sway a case. And then when looking at China, you don't really see that that often. There's not really a bias around gender, around race. There's a lot more equality in their legal system, where I think as the U.S. stands, we're still growing as a legal system and we're still learning to um, accept and incorporate all different kinds of people um, and professionals into our um, higher management roles. So as you can see, there are a number of differences between the Chinese legal system and the United States legal system, but they're also similar in some very interesting ways. Mm-hmm. As we've talked about, we've talked about the court structure and how that's similar and different to the United States. We've talked about the different processes to becoming a judge and a lawyer in the two different countries and how those differ. And we've talked about the different procedures that occur within courts. We've thoroughly discussed the requirements to be a judge, a lawyer. I know we've discussed, me and Taylor have especially discussed the differences between moving up in the system and I think overall just how the systems work. Thank you for listening in. And next up, we will have unit two.